Hey, City Church, it's good to see you guys online today. Uh, we say it often around here, why we exist. You know, City Church exists so all people can believe and thrive in Jesus. And a critical aspect of thriving in Jesus is our mental health. And so for the next several weeks, we're going to explore what the Christian and Jewish scriptures say about mental health. Because mental health matters. And you, you may not know this, but the statistics on mental health just in our own country are quite surprising. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, one half of us will experience a mental illness during our lifetime. Think about that. Every other one of us will experience a mental illness. That same report tells us that half of all mental illnesses or, or dis disorders occur by the age of 14. And so what that tells us is mental illness is not just an adult issue. And then, of course, the ongoing coronavirus pandemic has added even more intensity to people's struggles with their mental health. In fact, the CDC did a survey on mental health during this season. And what they discovered is that three out of four adults who are ages 18 through 24 have reported a mental health issue. And one quarter of those young adults, one out of four of those young adults, have actually considered suicide during this season. The same report tells us that half of adults between 25 and 44 are also struggling with their mental health. And I I tell you all of those statistics so you understand you're not alone. Because I know sometimes when people wrestle with mental health matters, they feel like they're the only one. They think, I'm the only one who feels this way. I'm the only one struggling with my thoughts. And I just want you to know you're not alone. You're not the only one struggling. And some of you, you know what you're dealing with. Uh, maybe you've taken the step to see a mental health professional, and so your uh, mental health matter has been diagnosed. You know what to, to call it. But I suspect there's some of you who, during this pandemic, you've, you've not been diagnosed with anything, but you sense that there's something that has changed. Something doesn't seem right in your mental, you know, in, in your ways of thinking. Maybe you feel sad or blue. Or maybe you're feeling a sense of emotional exhaustion. Or maybe you're feeling a sense of mental fatigue. And if you're not struggling with any of these kinds of mental illnesses, you probably know someone and love someone who is. And that's why we're doing this series, because mental health matters. And it matters a lot to me personally. I, I've lost an uncle and a cousin uh, who tragically died by suicide. And then my dad told me that his dad, you know, my, my grandpa, something happened that I didn't know about until I got older. He told me that my grandpa had what they called back then a nervous breakdown. And my dad told me that my, that my grandpa never really recovered from that. And that the person I knew growing up was not the person my dad knew growing up. And then, you know, some of you know, I've shared this story before that my mom who attends City Church, has attended City Church for decades. Uh, my mom, who has given me permission to talk about her own struggles with mental health matters. Uh, in fact, she actually encouraged me to do it because she felt like if her story could just help one person get through what they're going through, it would be worth it. And so I'm going to share with you a, a little bit of my mom's story because I think it's that important. My mom struggled for years with a very severe depression. 
And I started noticing the signs of it when I was in high school at Marshall High School. I would come home from school sometimes and my mom would be standing in the kitchen cooking uh, dinner and she would be just weeping. And sometimes I would come into the kitchen and, and I would want to do something. I wanted to make her feel better, but you know, I was a teenage kid. I didn't know what to do and she didn't really know what to do either. And then she told me later that not only was she wrestling with depression, she also had this looming sense of shame because she felt like she had no reason to feel depressed. She really didn't experience any dramatic trauma in her life. And, you know, she and my dad had a good relationship. They both had good jobs. We had a nice house, plenty of food. And of course, she had totally awesome kids. <laughs> and, and so she, she said it just didn't even make sense to her why she felt so depressed. And then on top of it all, she would beat herself up because she would tell herself, how can, you, how can you be a Christian and have no reason to feel depressed and feel depressed? And so on top of all of the depression she felt, she had all of this shame with it. And so my mom struggled for years with her depression and her shame. And that's why mental health matters so much to me personally. And that is why we are doing this series. And I believe the church plays a critical role in helping people pursue mental health and pursue mental healing. And so I want you to know, I want you to know if you're struggling with a mental health matter of some kind, I want you to know that City Church is a safe community where you can be honest about what you're really wrestling with, what you're uh, wrestling with with your feelings and what you're thinking. You can get brutally honest with us. We're not going to judge you. Uh, we're not going to look down on you. In fact, we're going to come alongside you and help you. And that is, that's a part of why we're doing this series. This series is for people who, who know you're struggling with your mental health. Maybe you're wrestling with depression or anxiety attacks, maybe uh, some kind of panic attacks, maybe debilitating fears that are just weighing you down and keeping you from thriving. And, um, or maybe you have a loved one who's wrestling with their mental illness. This series, I believe, can help us all pursue mental health and mental healing. And a part of my purpose in doing a series like this is to remove the stigmas that often get attached to mental health matters, especially within the church. I mean, my gosh, of all places, the church ought to be the safest community where you can really be honest about your struggles, whether it's spiritually, emotionally, or mentally. Now, let me say as we get into the series, I'm not going to try to be an expert in, in areas where I don't have expertise. I'm going to let other experts speak to those areas of mental health. So I'm going to focus on what I do feel I'm an expert in. And also, let me say, I'm not going to give you, I promise I won't give you simplistic answers to complex mental health issues. All right? But I am going to give you some principles from the scriptures that I believe can help all of us uh, gain and maintain mental health. All right, so let me, let me establish sort of a, a, a groundwork. As we begin this journey together, I want us to look at uh, how the Christian scriptures describe the unique and dynamic mixture of who we are as human beings. And so Paul writes about this dynamic mixture of who we are in one of his letters. So let me quote from that. This is 1 Thessalonians 5.23, where Paul writes, 
may the God of peace sanctify you. And, and let me say, he's, he's speaking to them about the God of peace because in the letter, they, they're struggling with anxious thoughts. They're struggling with anxieties. May the God of peace sanctify you entirely. May your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, here Paul pictures us, this dynamic mixture of us as spirit, soul, and body. And, and as he's writing this letter, he's, he's praying for them that, they, the, that all, all of the aspects of who we are would be preserved complete. So he's painting a holistic picture of health. And so we are a mixture of spirit, soul, and body. And so the body, you know, you know what the body is, your five senses, your body, and that would include your brains. That's all the physiology of who you are. Then there's the inner part of you, the soul, that's your mind, your will, and your emotions. And then there's the innermost part of who you are, your spirit, that part of you that is created in God's image because God is a spirit being himself. And I think what's important about really you know, grasping this understanding of who we are is because you can't pursue mental health without addressing the other aspects of who you are. They, every part of you impacts every other part of you. Uh, and so pursuing mental health cannot be separated from your spiritual health, your emotional health, your relational health, and your, your spiritual health, and uh, your physical health. You have to be able to pursue all of those aspects of health as a part of pursuing mental health. And so a key aspect of pursuing mental health also means allowing, because the, the different aspects of who we are, it may, means allowing other people who have expertise in each of those areas to help us pursue mental health and mental healing. And so that means that psychiatrists and medical doctors, they play a part in mental health. That means that psychologists and counselors and therapists, they play a role in mental health. They can help us wrestle with, you know, our, our, our emotions and the ways of thinking that we have. And then I would say that pastors, priests, and prayer team members, we also play a role in helping pursue mental health. We can help you deal with spiritual issues, with relational issues, and other emotional issues that the scriptures address. And so with this perspective with this understanding of who we are as human beings and, and that we need to be looking at all the different aspects of pursuing mental health, I want us to look at a practice, a practice that the early Christians taught about uh, how you can gain and maintain a sense of mental health. It's a spiritual practice, but it, it's really a mental practice. And Paul writes about this in one of his other letters. This is a letter he wrote to the believers in the city of Corinth. And so in this letter, he uses the metaphor. So let me set it up. He uses the metaphor of a weapon as a dynamic picture of how we can address harmful ways of thinking that impact how we feel and how we act. This is 2 Corinthians 10.4, where Paul writes, The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And he's talking about mental strongholds, ways of thinking. We demolish arguments, again, ways of thinking, and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. 
So Paul here talks about what he calls a divinely powerful weapon. You know, it's like a metaphor that we have that can help us deal with harmful ways of thinking. And he tells us that we can demolish those strongholds, those ways of thinking. We can demolish those pretensions. We can demolish those arguments. Those are the arguments that go on in our mind, which are all harmful ways of thinking that impact how we act and how we feel. And how does Paul say that we can demolish those harmful ways of thinking? He says, take captive every thought. Take captive every thought. Can you say that with me? Take captive every thought. And so Paul's telling us that you can take captive every thought that goes on in your mind. I believe God created us with a unique ability to be able to control our thoughts. We, we don't have to let our thoughts run wild. And so that tells us you don't have to let hurtful thoughts, harmful thoughts, uh, untrue thoughts, life-sucking thoughts to control your mind. You can take captive angry thoughts. You can take captive bitter thoughts. You can take captive negative thoughts. You can take captive self-loathing thoughts, anxious thoughts, depressed thoughts, and yes, even suicidal thoughts. When you sense yourself, when you come to an awareness that you are thinking those kind of harmful thoughts, you have the ability to take those thoughts captive, to say no, no, that is not true. I, I don't believe that. I'm not going to let those thoughts control me. Now, this practice may seem totally new to some of you. You may have always thought that your mind just thinks what it thinks. You know, you may have always thought you can't control your mind. You may have thought my mind controls me. But that's why this teaching of Paul, it's so significant. Because Paul is teaching us that we have the capacity to actually take control of thoughts that are hurtful and life-sucking and, and that can be harmful to who we are and how we live our lives. And what Paul shows us here, it's not that we're not going to think those thoughts. Let's just acknowledge that. We're all going to struggle with different thoughts like this. What's important, what Paul is teaching here is to acknowledge those thoughts. When you sense they're happening, when you sense those negative thoughts, those harmful thoughts are, are circulating in your mind, acknowledge it. Acknowledge what's going on and then reject them. Take those thoughts captive and say, no, I don't believe that's true. I don't believe that's true about God and his love for me. I don't think that's true about me. I don't think that's true about this life or about this world. You can take every untrue thought captive. Now, let me just acknowledge as I'm teaching you this principle because remember I said, I'm not going to give you simplistic answers. This is a simple practice, but I don't want you to have the sense that it's simplistic. Because I know that if some of you are wrestling with a great deal of depression or anxieties, or maybe you're even thinking suicidal thoughts, this, this practice, is, it doesn't just happen, you do it once and, and then everything's fine. And so I want to make sure we understand that this practice takes time. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of focus of your mind. And for, for many of us, it may even take getting the help of a mental health professional to help us uh, retrain our mind and how we think about things. And so if you haven't already done that, I encourage you to make that a part of pursuing uh, mental health in your life. But here's what I want you to grasp from this principle. What you believe, what's going on up here, what you believe in your mind impacts the way you act and the way you feel. 
Now, this is where I want us to look at what science tells us goes on based on what we believe and based on what we believe in our minds. And so now I'm going I'm to point uh, to an expert in this field. His name is Dr. David Stoop. He's a psychologist who wrote a great book. If you've been looking for a book to read on this issue, his is one of my favorite. It's entitled Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life. And Dr. Stoop in this book does extensive research into the mechanics of our brain and the chemistry of our brain and how what we believe impacts the way we feel and the way we act. And he writes in his book that a lot of us don't really pay attention to our inner belief system. I mean, it's there, but we don't really think about it consciously. But he says that it has a dramatic impact on our mental and emotional health. And so he gave some examples like, if I believe the world stinks and people can't be trusted, that belief system shapes the way I interpret life and all of my interactions in life and my relationships in life. If I believe I'm stupid and I'm worthless, that inner belief system, it shapes the way we act and the way we feel. And what Dr. Stoop's research shows is that you can actually retrain your mind. You can retrain what's going on to think in other ways. You can retrain your, your, your mind to believe different thoughts and embrace a different belief system. And he, and he shows that scientifically, this is where I get to the science now. Scientifically, what happens when you embrace a different belief system, it actually literally creates these chemi uh, chemical pathways that redirect your thoughts in your brain. It's like your brain replaces the old ways of thinking and it creates these new chemical pathways so that you begin to think based upon this new belief system. And so here's my point in all of this. That's the little bit of the sciencey part. What you believe matters. It matters a lot. And it, 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 it is right now, whatever you believe, it is right now impacting your mental and emotional health. And that's why when I say I believe the church plays a critical role in mental health, this is the aspect I'm talking about because mostly what church is, I mean, we love each other, we serve the poor, we, you know, we try to help people in many ways, but one of the key aspects of what we do as a church is help people affirm and learn a belief system that will help them thrive in life. And so that's why when we get together each week, we sing songs of truth that help touch our hearts, that impacts the ways we think and believe and, and the way we feel. And that's why each week we study Christian scriptures of, that are filled with truth. Because a part of what we're doing is we're, we're building a belief system within us. And we're affirming that belief system. And as we build and affirm that belief system within us, it impacts our, our ways of thinking that impact the way we act and feel. And so you might be thinking, okay, Pastor Brent, okay, take thoughts captive and affirm you know, positive belief systems. How does that work practically? Like, how do you actually do that? Well, I want us to look at an example from the Jewish scriptures where a man named King David wrote, uh, wrote a, a, different, a, a significant amount of the Jewish scriptures. He wrote these, uh, they were like poet, poet, poem songs, song poems uh, that are called Psalms. And in these Psalms, you get a sense of how King David would take thoughts captive and he would cling to his inner belief system as a part of wrestling with his own mental health matters. 
And so I want us just to look at one of those Psalms for a moment. Let me set up the scene and what's going on in his life that led to, that messed up his mind, you know, that, that led to his mental health matter. So by this point in his life, King David has numerous wives, numerous children who now have become adults. They all live in one big house, which, which as you can imagine was just very dysfunctional, very dysfunctional. Well, one of King David's sons rapes his half-sister Tamar. That son is named uh, Amnon. And after he rapes Tamar, King David does nothing about it. He does nothing about it. And that was dysfunctional itself. And so Tamar's full brother Absalom did something about it. He killed his half-brother Amnon. And once Absalom did that, his relationship with his father became tense, angry, bitter, negative, and toxic. So much so that it got to the point where Absalom led an armed rebellion against his father and drove his father David out of his home and out of his kingdom. While David is on the run with a small band of men, he, he would periodically have to hide out in caves. And there's where we believe a lot of his psalms came into light as he's crying out to God, expressing his mental anguish. Let's look at one of those psalms. This is Psalm 22, verse 1, where King David writes, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. Here David admits he feels forsaken by God. He feels like God's just far away. He feels like God's not even listening. He feels like God doesn't care. And when suffering comes, when bad things happen, when relationships dissolve, when fearful circumstances surface, we can end up feeling that way too. And no judgment here. I think that's just understandable. I think that's how we're wired as human beings. And this psalm, to me, it's so fresh because it, it makes it into the Bible. And did you know that this is the psalm that Jesus himself cried out when he was on the cross suffering himself? And with these words, with these words, David, King David, it's like he gives us permission. First of all, he gives us permission to just acknowledge that suffering comes our way sometimes. There's nowhere in the scriptures that ever suggests that if, if we love God and we seek to do his will for our lives, that we won't suffer. I mean, King David suffered. Jesus, the son of God, suffered. And so I think it, it at least allows us to have our expectations be a little bit more realistic. Suffering sometimes comes our way. But what I love about uh, the sheer uh, honesty of King David's words is he gives us permission to tell God how we feel about God. He gives us permission to say how we really feel, 
to be brutally honest about our disappointment, our frustration, our feeling forsaken. He gives us permission to express our real feelings, even our depressed thoughts, even our fearful thoughts, even our disappointing thoughts, even thoughts towards God that are like that. And what if, what if that is a part of the healing process? What if a part of what brings mental healing into our lives when we're feeling mental anguish is getting to the place where we can be brutally honest with ourselves and with God about how we're really feeling. I think that's a part of the journey. But notice, King David doesn't stop there. This is verse three. King David writes, yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you, they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. Now, did you notice what happens here? It's so significant. Yes, David admits how he feels. David admits, I feel forsaken by God. I feel like God's far away from me. I feel like like he's not hearing my prayers. I feel like he doesn't even care. But then, did you notice what he did? He takes his thoughts captive. He says, yet, yet. And then he begins to profess what he believes to be true about his God, that his God is worthy of trust, that his God will deliver, that his God will save, that he's that kind of God. And so in this, King David, in the pain of his present, follow with me, in the pain of his present, which he was honest about, He remembers, he chooses to remember what he has believed about God in the past and the many times that God has blessed him and protected him and his ancestors. And he chooses to cling to that belief system from the past in his painful presence, present. And then that, by clinging to his belief system, even when he had anxious thoughts, gave him hope to believe his future would be better too. And what David says here is so profound. Because sometimes suffering in the now can cause us to forget about God's blessings and faithfulness in the past, in our own lives. And again, no judgment here. I think we're just all wired that way. I think when we're suffering in the now, when we're experiencing pain in the now, we're only thinking about the now. And I think that's just the way we are as human beings. But a part of the principle that I'm teaching you is you can be aware of that, acknowledge your pain, but choose to cling to what you believe is really true about God, his love for you, his care for you, his desire to save and rescue you. And that hope, based on what you've experienced about God in the past, can give you hope, which is really just the courage to trust God in your painful present, that you'll get through what you're going through and get to a better future. But what I love about this psalm that David writes is, he, he admits again something else he's struggling with. Right in the next verse, this is verse six. King David writes, but you know, I am a worm. I'm not a man. Scorned by everybody. Despised by people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. Here in a very vulnerable moment, David admits his feelings of worthlessness. He says, I feel as worthless as a worm. And he admits and and he acknowledges that a lot of his feelings of worthlessness come from harmful, hurtful, mocking words that come from other people. 
And I think what we're supposed to gain here is that, you know, I know many of your stories. I've heard your stories. I know some of you have had hurtful words spoken in your life. I know some of you have had demeaning words spoken in your life. Damaging words. Life-sucking words just spoken in your life. You'll never amount to anything. What a loser. Can't you get your act together? You're not worthy of love. And those harmful words have become a part of your belief system about yourself, about others, and maybe even about your relationship with God. And a part of what David is showing us here is you don't have to accept those words. I think you have to, to find them. You have to say, what negative words, what harmful, hurtful words are influencing my mind that's influencing the way I feel? And I think if you can find those words and acknowledge them, I think there is hope for uh, getting to a place of mental health. And so King David acknowledges his feelings of worthlessness and that it came from words spoken by others. But again, notice what King David does. He takes his thoughts captive. This is verse nine. Yet, and he's speaking to God. Yet, you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth, I was thrust into your arms. You have been my God since I was born. There it is again. He admits his, his anxious thoughts. He admits the hurtful thoughts going on in his mind. But then he says, yet. It's like he, he, he's going down that road. He's thinking those thoughts, but he says, yet. And with yet, he takes those thoughts captive and he returns to what he really believes, what he knows to be true about God. I think he starts thinking about the specific instances where God has rescued him and protected him and blessed him all the way through his path and even spoken to him in powerful words. And that gives him strength to cling to that belief system, what he knows to be true about God. And that's what helps him get through what he's going through in the present. And then, as King David takes his thoughts captive and clings to a true belief system about who God is, God's love for him, and God's blessings in his life, he gets to the place in this psalm where he can speak and pray these words of hope. This is verse 23. You who fear the Lord, praise him, for he has not despised or scorn the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face, but has listened to his cry for help. You see, as David admitted the way he felt, admitted the thoughts he was thinking, and then as he took those hurtful thoughts, those anxious thoughts captive, and as he clung to his belief system, what he knew to be true, he was able to turn his mental anguish and anxiety and despair into tr trust and into hope. And you can too. Now, as I said earlier, I, I'm going to be very careful not to make you think I'm throwing out simplistic principles or sim simplistic practices like this. And I don't think it, it is simplistic. And of course, if you go back and read some of David's other Psalms, 
this wasn't an event that happened once and then he took his thoughts captive and then it was over and he felt great and he never struggled with mental health issues anymore. That's not true. There are quite a few of his psalms that are focused on expressing his struggles with his mental and emotional health, which tells me that he had to keep on practicing this over and over. And so it's okay. It's not going to be like, okay, I learned this practice. Now I'm going to have mental health. It's going to take some time. And it's going to take uh, really learning how to retrain your mind to think about what is really true about you and your relationship with God. And so I'm going to speak a word to those of you who you know you're struggling. You know you're struggling maybe with uh, anxiety, maybe with depression, maybe with suicidal thoughts. I do want to encourage you to acknowledge that. I think that's the first step. And to be real about what you're really feeling, what you're thinking. I think that's an important step in the journey of healing and gaining mental health. And then I'm encouraging you to take the first steps to notice when you're thinking those thoughts and to take those thoughts captive. Say, no, I don't believe that. That is not what I believe is true. I don't think that's true about God. I don't think that's true about me, my life, my situation, or our world. And begin to take those steps. Second thing I want to say to you, if you know you're struggling, please tell someone. Please don't go through your mental health issue alone. I don't think it's wise for you to try to do this on your own. So maybe you would tell your spouse. Maybe you would tell a close friend. Maybe uh, tell your medical doctor. Or maybe tell one of our pastors or prayer team members. And we will stand with you. We will walk with you in this journey toward mental health. Because mental health matters. And I want you to know, I want you to believe that there is hope for your mental health issue. You know, when my, when my mom got to some of the darkest seasons in her depression, she confided to me and told me I could tell you that uh, at times she thought about committing suicide just to end the pain. She thought about it and considered, considered it numerous times. And so I asked mom, I said, mom, why didn't you do that? And you know what she told me? She said, because still at the very core of my being, I did not believe it was right. I did not believe it was what God wanted me to do. I did not believe it was what was best for my family. And ultimately, I did not believe it's what was best for me. And so even in the darkest moments where, when she was feeling the most mental and emotional anguish, she clung to her belief system in a God that loves her and has a plan for her life. And she resisted those negative, depressing, suicidal thoughts. And I, I don't want you to think this was simple for my mom. She told me it, it was a season. It was years. And my mom did the right thing. She told her mental health professional about it. She told her doctor about it. She got some counseling along the way. And they were able to help her. But at the very core of her being, what ultimately saved my mom's life was clinging to her beliefs in a, love who, in a God who loves her. And so I share her story with those of you who are struggling so that you will have hope. There is hope. And, uh, and I just want to say to my mom, you know, she, she and dad watch online. I just want to say, mom, uh, I love you. Thank you for the, 
the courage you showed uh, to get through what you went through with your mental health issue. I'm so grateful uh, you've been a part of my life all of these years. My mom's turning 80 this year. And so, Mom, I just want to say to you, I love you. And thank you for setting such a great example for me as a person and for me as a pastor. Let's, let's pray together. And so if, you're, uh, if you would say you're struggling with a mental health matter of some kind, uh, I encourage you maybe just to stretch out your hand toward the screen, uh, however you're watching me, your phone screen, your computer screen, your TV screen. Just, just as a symbolic act of admitting that and saying, I want to receive this prayer that Pastor Brent's going to pray. And so, Father, first, I affirm your love for every person who is stretching out their hands right now. I affirm over them that you love them deeply right now, just the way they are. And Father God, by them stretching out their hands, they're admitting to you in your presence that they're struggling. They're struggling mentally or emotionally. They're struggling with depression or anxiety or fear. And my prayer, God, is that you would look upon them. My prayer is that you would notice them. My prayer is that through your spirit who indwells those who have believed in you, you would stir within them and give them a thoughts of truth Thoughts that reflect your love, your care, your concern for where they are in their lives, what they're struggling with right now. And then my prayer for you, those of you who are struggling, I'm asking you to take some courageous step this week. And so would you commit that right now? Commit it to God in the name of Jesus to say, Father God, in the name of Jesus, I'm going to admit what I'm struggling with to somebody. I'm going to take the next step to get mentally healthy because I know you love me and I know that's what you want me to do. And then Lord, uh, I, I pray for those who are struggling. I pray that you would give them inner courage and give them mental focus and mental strength to get through what they're going through so that they can begin to taste seasons of mental health and joy, and peace. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.